Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Hey everyone, if you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10. That's podcast10 to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. And now to the top analysis of today's markets. Our top performer, the investor who's had the highest returns by far, returns for a victory lap on three ideas. When we launched Three Ideas last year, our very first guest was investor Larry Lepard, who focuses on precious metals. We have a tracker that we share with Real Vision members that looks at each guest and charts their three ideas. And Larry's picks are by far and away the top picks. He has a return of 44%, nearly double his closest competitor on the show. So we invited Larry to come back, update us on his three ideas and take a victory lap, though you might be surprised that he's quite reluctant to take that victory lap. We'll get to that in a second, Larry. Congratulations. But first, I'd just like you to walk us through an update of your global macro thesis in the context of how inflation has changed since we talked six months ago, the Fed moves. And of course, now we're in a crisis. Uh, with the bank. So welcome back, Larry. Yeah. Thanks for having me back, Samuel. And yeah, no victory lap yet. I haven't sold and, and it's not over yet. But um, also timing is everything. We were very fortunate. The time we did our last interview was September of last year. And that was almost the perfect bottom in a lot of the gold stocks. So better, better lucky than smart. But to go to your issue of the macro, I mean, we all can see what's going on. And, um, you know, the world really just changed on, uh, you know, in the last couple of weeks when Silicon Valley Bank had a run, 42 billion withdrawn, went cash negative, and the FDIC had to step in, and then the Treasury and the Fed had to step in with a with a new program, you know, the BTFP. Um, you know, it's it, it it's basically saying what what I've been contending and others have been contending for a while. That is that the Fed is trapped, and that the continuing tightening of monetary conditions to try and address the inflation problem was going to cause things in a highly leveraged financial world to break. And I think what we just saw was the beginning of that break. Uh, they haven't cut rates. In fact, they put them up 25 bips uh, yesterday or two days ago. But, um, you know, you can see if you look at the futures, the Fed futures, you can see that there's a 90 percent chance that that was their last raise. At least that's what the marketplace is saying right now. So so the macro world has changed because financial conditions have really changed. And of course, there's some contagion here, as you and I were talking about before the show started. It wasn't just Silicon Valley Bank. It then spread to Swiss, uh, Credit Suisse, and of course now this morning, uh, the the CDS on um, um, on Deutsche Bank are blowing out. So, so there's an issue here, and and uh, that issue um, will feed and drive my thesis, which is to say that they can never stop printing money, and they have to continually debase the currency, and therefore, in order to protect yourself from that debasement, you need to be in gold and gold and silver mining stocks. 
I was just at a Real Vision meetup here in London, and you were on the tip of a lot of people's tongues as we were talking about uh, your 44% return. And they wanted to know, so what do you what do you do for Golden? And I mean, we're going to get into some of your ideas, but broadly speaking, do you have when people ask you, do you look at you know, gold ETFs? Is it more going down the gold mining route, like we're going to be talking about again in today's episode? So it's, it, everybody should, you know. It, I can't give investment advice, right? Everybody's situation is different, as you know, and everyone should pick the risk reward that makes the most sense to them. I mean, uh, at the core, what I recommend to my clients is that at a base core that they actually have some physical gold, whether it be coins or bullion, or trusted physical gold through a source like Bullion Vault or or Gold Money or you know PHYS or PSLV, which are the two Sprott ETFs. Um, you know, I, I think you start there because they will protect you against inflation, the inflation that's coming, in my opinion. Uh, gold stocks, the, the rule of thumb on gold stocks is that they're much riskier. And of course, the upside and returns can be much higher, but of course, so can the downside. And so, you know, rule of thumb has always been if gold goes up 10%, the gold stocks will go up 30%. And so, you know, if you want to if you want to be more aggressive in your approach to this debasement bet, um, you buy gold stocks and, um, my fund, I sell my fund to my investors as, you know, I'm, a, I'm extremely aggressive. Um, I'm trying to make, uh, high rates of return and they should allocate money to it that they consider they can live with the volatility because it does go up and down, you know, quite a bit, but if we're right, and I believe we are about what's happening in debasement, you know, the gold price is going to go much higher in my opinion, in the next few years ahead. It was interesting. We've seen not closing prices, but we, for the first time since the Russia, um, the Russian war started, the Ukraine war started, uh, we've seen gold over $2,000 an ounce. And that's a very important level, Samuel, because, you know, in, in 2011, it hit 1900 briefly. And then in 2020 on the COVID thing, it hit, it got over 2000 briefly. And then when the war broke out, it got over 2000 briefly. And after each of those, it's come back and corrected pretty severely down to 1700 in some cases, even lower a little bit in one case. And, and now it's back knocking on, a, on an all time high of 2000. It's been there three times. And as you know, in the investing world, when, when people, when, when things make new all-time highs, that attracts a lot of attention. And so I, I, I sincerely think that what's going to happen here is at some point we're going to break through that 2000 with authority and gold's going to squirt up to 2,500 or 3000. If that occurs, the stuff I own is going to go bananas. <laughs> I mean, these, these companies are making pretty good money at $1,900 gold. They're going to make even more money at $2,500 gold. Well, let's jump into some of the stuff you hold. And just to be clear, full disclaimer, you do own this and your fund uh, has stakes in some of the names that we're about to discuss. So I want to jump into the first one that's uh, Equinox Gold, traded on the NICE. We were talking the last time and it had peaked in April of last year around $8.90 USD. In September, it went down to $3.56. That's when you and I spoke, and it's gone up to $4.65 around the time that we're talking. So that's a great return. But it was funny when you and I did our pre-call where we you know, chat before we come on, you weren't using the body language of a guy who was the top performer. You were a, a reluctant champion. So walk us through with a, with a stock like this, why you're not taking the victory lap. Well, I mean, I'm not taking the victory lap on this whole area because I know what, you know, I know how difficult this area is. And I know how unpredictable it is. And, you know, I mean, as an example, if the U.S. decides to put in a you know, 100% tax on capital gains or 90% tax on capital gains on gold and gold stocks, you know, we're about to get hurt very badly. And so 
you know, th there's risk in the gold bet. You're betting against the government, you're betting against the Fed, and they're trying to defend the system they've got. But, you know, I, I don't believe that it's likely that what I just described will happen. And so, so I'm always just a little bit cautious. And, and you know, you, you have to be, I think, if you've been in this industry a long time, I've been doing it for 20 plus years. And so I've seen, you know, what happens. And that's why I think I'm, I'm a little more cautious on it. But, but moving to Equinox for just a moment, I mean, this is still, there's really nothing that's changed here. This is a great story. Um, you know, the Greenstone Project is, is the big upside growth. I mean, they're at kind of the 500,000 uh, ounce run rate. They did 532,000 ounces last year of production. They've guided for roughly 600,000 ounces this year. And, um, you know, their, their big project is this, um, is this Greenstone Project, which they expect to open up in the first half of next year. And ultimately, this company is going to grow its production, they say, to about a million ounces. I think it could be a slightly less than that. But, but the point is that even if they weren't growing, they're cheap. And then when you add the growth in, in my opinion, they can, they can you know, go beyond that. Ross Beatty, who was a, a brilliant, um, you know, multi-hundred well, multi millionaire in, and made through gold mining stocks, is the largest shareholder here. I believe he's also the chairman of the board. He was until recently. And so, um, you know, I, I think it's just a very good situation. And it's somewhat undervalued uh, for a variety of reasons. One is because they have a, a mine in Mexico, Los Filos, which is in Cabrero, which is a difficult area, which from time to time, their work stoppages there, but they generally get them resolved by, you know, paying the locals more money. And uh, so there are issues, obviously, but, but the Greenstone project that they're building up in Ontario is extremely safe. And, um, you know, it's going to be a very, very, you know, profitable and productive mine. And, you know, they're trading at kind of eight times EBITDA right now. And that EBITDA number will go up substantially when they get Greenstone open. And, you know, I, I also think the EBITDA, the other thing, the thing about this company is in general, it, it, it's funny. I mean, you, you know, you would think, well, if I'm buying gold stocks, I want to buy low cost producers. I want to buy people who have really low cost pulling ounce out of the ground. And that is generally speaking true. However, in a, in a gold bull market, when your cost, your ASIC cost, that's the average cost to pull gold out, ounce out of the ground is relatively high and you get the gold price going up, you've got a lot more operating leverage. So your profits are going to grow much more rapidly as a result. And so in my opinion, you know, we, we are going to $2,500 or $3,000 gold within the next couple of years. And if we do that, this company's going to make just a ton of money. You know, a million ounces of gold at that kind of a level would probably, you know, produce, you know, um, uh, close to a billion dollars of earnings. So, um, and we've got a market cap here of you know, 1.46 U.S. dollars. So, uh, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. We got a market cap of one point, uh, one point. What was? It? Let me just make sure I got this right because I, I always get tripped up on the difference between that. Uh, yeah, this is the. Yeah, I'm sorry, 1.46. That's right, U.S. I sometimes like confuse the Canadian dollar and the U.S. dollar. Yeah. So I mean, a, a company that has that kind of future earnings power and is trading at 1.46 billion, I mean, to me, it's, it's kind of a no-brainer. So I, I really like this company a lot. And even though you missed the first 30 or 40%, if you didn't buy it in September, um, you know, you can't always get the absolute low. And I, I think, you know, when I look at these things, Samuel, I, I'm generally not even interested if I don't think I can double my money. And, you know, I kind of pencil this out at kind of 4X, 4 to 5X my money over three or four years. Um, you know, and, and that's assuming a gold from the market. point where you got in, or if people were to get in on even, this, even today, even today, say forex from today. You know, now that's assuming gold prices continue to go up. I mean, if gold prices don't continue to go up, that's not realistic. I think it'll be a decent investment and make money and grow in value because they're going to open up this new mine that's going to improve their earnings. 
but um, you know what you what you want to have happening is you want to have the, the the real sweet spot in all these companies. You want to have growing production. You want to have growing you know um, gold prices, which then make the margins bigger. And you want to have growing multiples of cash flow. And so if you start, you know, if you find companies that are going to grow their production, they're going to mine more in the future. Find companies that are tri that, that you know have a high enough price for cost per ounce to mine that when the price of the metal goes up, you get a real pop in the earnings, and then you get multiple expansion. Um, that's a that's a really great way to you know make money in these stocks. And you know, my favorite question is, what would make you rethink this? I mean, you highlighted some of the issues that they yeah. see in Mexico, so obviously that's on your yeah, radar. I mean, but look, if Mexico grabbed Los Filos, that would be really bad. I mean, you and I have talked, and I know you have a background in Mexico or fluent know the situation there i mean it's you know there mexico is it's generally safe but not perfectly safe right i mean and and you know all of latin america there you know there are leftists i mean the, you know the seat the government uh, the, the president right now is a leftist although he's going to be term limited out in about a year and you know the the, the risk of taxation or, or confiscation always exists um, the other mines are safe the the, the brazilian mines in particular I, I don't worry as much about brazil as i do about mexico um, and the, the mines in California are very safe. And obviously the mine in uh, Toronto is very safe and Canada is very safe. So, so Mexico is probably the biggest risk here, uh, in my view. And that's, that's a meaningful part of their, you know, their, their production. So, um, but as I say, I mean, the, the positive on Mexico, I think we talked about this in our last conversation is Mexico gets a huge, huge amount of tax and royalty income out of these mining companies. It is the biggest business in Mexico by far. And, you know, they don't want to mess that up. And so I, you know, I think a lot of these politicians, they will, some of them will talk anti-mining, but they don't really act anti-mining because they, they like the money that comes out of the mining business. Yeah. And, and to your point, you have those one term, six years only, and that's it for Mexican presidents. So exactly. the people on the right will certainly be celebrating their opportunity at the very last. Let's jump into your second idea. That's Osisco Mining. Uh, this is a development story. You've called this Canadian mining royalty, the folks behind this. Uh, we take a step back. We look at the charts. We see it, it peaked around $3.82 Canadian in February of last year, then $2.60 Canadian when you and I talked and you, when you discussed this idea. And now we're trading around $3.84 Canadian. So update us on this company and... Are you taking a victory lap here? We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I think we all know by now, things are pretty fucked out there for most of us. You see, whether it's currency debasement, rising real estate prices or wages that never go up, it's really hard. And one of the most popular things we ever did was that series how to unfuck your future so we're going to do it again march 11th march 22nd we'll discuss the problems at hand no holes barred and then we'll give you all the tips you need to unfuck your future it just costs a dollar to join real vision to get access to all of this content go to realvision.com forward slash the future i'll see you there let's unfuck your future together Yeah, I mean, well, it's, yes, I'll take a victory lap. I mean, I guess right. on all of them, you know, like I say, better lucky than smart. Um, so the the story on Cisco is as it was before, um, with with a little bit of a you know a little bit of slippage on cost and a little bit of slippage on timing, which is to be expected in the development story, right? 
the great risk when you've got a, a mining company that's trying to build a mine is that it takes longer than expected and it costs more than expected. And so, you know, the, the company has no cash flow because they're not mining yet. And so, you know, you're buying equity with, you know, there's no multiple that you're looking at. You're just looking at what will they earn in the future? And then you're applying a multiple to that and discounting it back. And obviously the more years you have to wait for the cash flow to emerge, the, you know, the, the, the less you're going to make. So, um, the windfall project is really a fabulous project. John Brzezinski runs it is, you know, royalty in Canadian mining. He, you know, he built a malarctic mine. He's, he's, he's kind of a, a superstar. Um, and the company has updated, um, you know, their, their PEA and they, they have a full feasibility study out now. And it's really quite stunning. I mean, they, at, at $2,000 gold, um, pre-tax, this, this mine is worth $2.8 billion. And sometimes mines trade at, at, at uh, multiples of the NAV, you know, like one and a half to two times NAV. So this could be worth a great deal of money. Um, and right now the market cap is, is 1.4 billion Canadian. Um, you know, the reason I like this one so much is the nature of the deposit. It's a big deposit and it's a high grade deposit. There just aren't many of these and as, and it's safe, it's in Canada, which is a safe area and it's being run by a world-class guy. So, um, you know, what, what they plan to do is they have to do their environmental impact study this quarter, um, and, or this, this next coming quarter. They have to get the financing to build the mine, although they've done a couple of uh, public offerings and raised $150 million. Um, they have to get the debt to build the mine. It's not a big CapEx. For the size mine it is, CapEx is only $607 million Canadian. I mean, this is for a, a mine that will throw off, you know, $500 million of EBITDA in a year or two when it when it really gets running, assuming but, prices. But to be clear, the CapEx is more now than it was when you and I had spoken. Exactly. And, that's kind of, and that, yeah. that threw you off a bit? It threw me up, not a lot more. It went up by like 20%. And, you know, and they, and they, you know, the timing, I mean, they, before they were saying, you know, production in late 2024, and now it's Q1 of 2025. And it, you know what, it, it probably would be to Q2 of 2025. But, you know, if, if you're looking at a future cash flow and you get pushed out three to six months, it doesn't destroy, you know, the, I mean, the mine's going to run for 15 plus years, throwing off this half million, half a billion dollars of cash. So, you know, um, you're paying kind of three times that future cash flow, but you've got to wait for the rest of this year and all of 2024 to have that cash flow. And of course, the risk is something, you know, to, to go to your, your concluding question, what can go wrong here? You know, it could take longer and cost more. I mean, that's just, that's just as simple as it gets. And, and yet, again, you know, I, and I would kind of, I would budget for it where you, you've got enough margin of error that even if it takes 10 or 20% longer, it costs 10 or 20% more, you're still going to be fine on this investment. And, and I almost kind of expect that. I mean, it would be a, it would be a catastrophic change, you know, like it's going to cost 40% more and take three years longer. That would obviously destroy the value of this investment. But in my opinion, um, you know, you, you don't get a chance to buy assets like this, um, as cheap as we bought it last September. Now this one's run pretty hard. I mean, as you know, you know, it's up almost 50%. So, um, I don't like it as much here as I did in September. <laughs> But I'm, but I'm not selling because I believe you still probably have a three bagger from here. Um, but you know, you're, and again, it's not producing. So you're taking some risk and some would say, well, is, is a three bagger the appropriate return for something that, um, um, you know, that has the risk this has, and you could debate that. I mean, I, again, I, one of the things I, I, I try to remember is that I really like the thing longer term and, you know, it, if you have a three to five year time frame, I think in our last conversation, I said this, if I had to pick a stock, I'd put in my kids in my mother's portfolio, 
and I could forget about it, knowing that someday it was going to be a multi-billion dollar company, like $5 billion in value, this would be it because the deposit's that good. I mean, you can't, you know, you just can't find, I and mean, this is, this is a one, this is probably one of the top five deposits, undeveloped deposits in the world. And, and that's really, really rare. So, so you do have three other ideas, new ones that we're going to get to, but I just want to get to your third idea that we had the last time you were here, and that's Guanajuato Silver in Mexico, of course, peaking at about uh, 0.70 Canadian in May 2021. And it's come down somewhat since then, but when you and I talked back in September, we were closer to about point. Uh, 0.40 around there. And now we're talking somewhere in the range of about 0.52. So give us an update on this company and if any of your views have changed since the last time we chatted. No, if anything, my conviction on this has gotten stronger. They made a ton of progress. It's a great story. Um, you know, they, they, the, the, the most important thing here is the quarter on quarter production just continues to grow. Um, in the fourth quarter, they did 836,000 silver equivalent ounces. That's 3.2 million ounce run rate. They've guided this year that they're going to do 4.8 million ounces. Um, you know, they've got four mines and three mills running. They got the Topia mill, which had been shut down, running again. So they've got real diversity in their in their deposit base. They've expanded their whole category ounces to 60 million. Um, and, um, you know, I, I love the CEO. He's, he's a great guy, and I love his chief operating officer who helped to build the first Majestic mines. And so... Um, you know, it, it's, it's, just, it's got a ton of operating leverage. I mean, it's, you know, their cost, their, the mining cost per ounce is in the 13, $14 an ounce range. So at $20, they make say $6 an ounce, but I think silver's going to 30. And as you can, you know, do the math, you can see that the, the earnings here will just explode. Um, you know, they, 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 a couple of things happened, um, that also are meaningful since we last spoke, uh, one. They, uh, Great Panther, which was a company that was bankrupt, that they bought their last uh, a mine. They, they bought about $80 million worth of assets for $16 million from Great Panther. It was a brilliant move. They did it right before the Great Panther went bankrupt. Great Panther had a big block of stock, and they placed it with a large institution in Boston. I wish I could say the name, but the institution said, keep it quiet until it gets printed. But it's a really big, high-quality name that bought a big block of stock. It'll be very supportive for the stock. The other thing that happened is they got picked up into the SILJ, which is the Silver Junior ETF. And so SILJ went and bought 8 million shares. And that's a big deal because those ETFs are algorithmic. The stock keeps going up. They'll need to continue to add to their position. And that, may, that means they had done the work to determine that this was quality enough to be part of their ETF, which is a good thing. Um, and then, you know, finally, the, the, the real the underlying story here is they bought a bunch of assets really cheap, all of which were kind of somewhat broken or the companies selling them were in financial distress. And so, you know, they've got what I view as a couple hundred million dollars worth of assets and they, they paid, you know, for 30, 40 million total for those assets. So they really bought them on the cheap. And if you look at the current market cap of the company, you know, I've got them at um, roughly 168 million and a Canadian. So 74% of that is like 120 million US. I mean, this is a company that will have earnings power. If they do, let's say they do 4.8 million shares, and let's say that even if silver doesn't go up that much, um, they'll, you know, say say it goes to uh, 24, as an example, which is almost there now. 
and that'll give them a $10 margin, 48, 4.8 million ounces. That'll give them $48 million of EBITDA cash flow this year uh, at the mine level. And, you know, that's the market cap is 3x that, which is very low. And I think silver, you know, I think two things will happen. I think silver will go higher. And I think, you know, the, the 4.8 will be on their way to five or six or seven the following year because they're, they're being very aggressive about the way they're exploring and, and growing their production. And they've got a lot of capacity left in the mills that they bought. So it's, in, in my opinion, it's still, you know, quite rich, even though it's gone up, you know, since you and I last spoke, it's up 40, 48%. Um, you know, obviously I liked it better back then, but, but, but I still think it's, uh, you know, an easy three to four X here. It kind of depending upon metal prices. I mean, they all, they all depend upon metal prices. And I think everybody looking at this area should fully understand that, you know, that, that, you know, we need, we need a bull market in the metal prices. And when you get those, these mining stocks go up multiples. But having said that, you know, a bear market in the metal prices is just the opposite. You know, these mining stocks do not do well in, in, in you know, if you don't believe in inflation, you don't believe metal prices are going higher. So, so that's the, that's really, to me, the macro risk is probably the biggest risk you take in this area. Although, you know, any company can fail. And if, if you pick good companies, you can kind of, you know, somewhat d diminish the risk of your company's failing. But even the best pickers uh, make mistakes occasionally. You just, there's a certain amount of, I don't know what's going to happen, right? And, and just to be clear, you're a 3X, 4X return, you're, you're a long-term investor in these companies. Yeah, I mean, it's, I'm talking over three, four years. I mean, it's going to take, it's going to take a while to get there, so. We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. So that's the other one. Then I've got three other ideas. Let's yeah. jump right into them. Your first one is Argonaut Gold. This is a Canadian gold company, uh, exploration, mine development, and production. They're in the final years or stages, I should say, of construction of the Magino Mine in Ontario, Canada. We look at the chart peaked at 3.98 Canadian in November of 2021. We've got uh, 251 around April uh, of last year. It's recovered a bit since those kind of cliff dives, but the more recent high of 0.73 Canadian January, it's also off from there. So yeah. I'm guessing you see it as an opportune moment to come in and buy at low That's prices. That's exactly right. I mean, this is a, this is a company that blew up. And, um, and in fact, both of the companies I'm going to recommend are companies that blew up. And one of the benefits compared to the three we talked about before is I've, I've literally been buying both of these companies in the last week. So you're not, you're not paying more than I paid if you get involved in either of these particular situations. And, you know, one of the things that happens in the mining industry, remember a, a company has an asset, which is the ore in the ground, and you, you know what that asset is worth per ounce and so on and so forth. They also have mills, et cetera. And so one of the ways it's smart, in my opinion, to invest in the mining industry is you look for a pretty good set of assets where something went wrong. And, you know, and Mr. Market or, or we candid investors just threw it out. Oh, gosh, they missed their numbers. They're not going to have a good profit this year. Screw it. I'm not going to wait around. I'm going to sell it. And what happens is they just get dumped way beyond what is reasonable because, you know, the management teams, I mean, again, you've got to start with a good company. I mean, if it's a shitty company, you know, and, and they, they blow up, well, then they might go out of business. But this is not a shitty company. This, has, this company has a lot of assets in Mexico. Um, they had a lot of cash flow out of the, those assets. They had trouble with some of them. They're older and they're tired and they're high cost. And, you know, at $20 silver, they were having a hard time making money on some of those assets. So, so they shut down a couple of the Mexican operations, which impairs their cash flow. 
And then the Magino project, as you mentioned, is, is the future of the company. And they had a serious problem there with the cost overrun. And so when that cost overrun was announced, the stock just got annihilated. And the combination of that and the, and the poor performance in Mexico has made this just an unbelievable bargain. And again, I'm comfortable that that's true because I know the guy running this thing. Um, Richard Young is the CEO of Argonaut. Richard Young built Taranga and sold it to Endeavor Mining. Um, he personally bought a ton of stock in this company when he moved over to this company, became CEO about a year ago, I think. And, um, and he, you know, he, he completely believes, and my opinion is he will fix this. And if, and when he fixes this, it will be worth multiples of what it's worth right now. It's a $350 million market cap. This is a company that will produce when it's fixed. And I think he will get it fixed. It will produce 450,000 ounces of gold in 2025 or 2026. I mean, that's worth billions of dollars. And yet the market cap is 350. Why is it 350? Cause it's broken but they don't need any more capital. And the Magino mine or the Magino mine is scheduled to come on, on you know, online in mid-May. Now, again, you know, mid-May could be July, but two months isn't gonna destroy the thesis of a mine that's gonna produce cash for 15 years. So, and, and I think if you go look at the stock chart, this thing's totally bombed out, completely bombed out. I mean, it could it go down a little bit from here? Sure, if it did, I'd buy more. So. Um, Magino, you know, I mean, Argonaut is a turnaround story with a very high quality manager that's selling for a fraction of what it would be worth if it were running correctly. And in my opinion, the high quality manager will have it running correctly within a couple of years. And so for taking that risk that is broken, you know, you could easily make four or five, even 10 extra money. What, what would make you rethink? I mean, you just said if it went down even more, you would not, buy more. Not, not much. I mean, I, you, you don't have, you know, you don't have a real Canada risk. You, you know, the Mexico stuff is probably when, it, when Magino's running, the Mexico stuff will be, you know, less than half of the company. Um, you know, so, but there's always a Mexican risk. Um, I, you know, I can't really foresee a problem here. I mean, I, I guess lower metal prices, the Mexico mines are high cost. Magino's not. Um, but the Mexico mines are high cost. And so, you know, those wouldn't have much value if, if metal prices don't go in the right direction. I mean, again, remember that these multiple upsides that I'm saying are based on my belief that we will have 30 plus dollars silver and $2,500 plus gold sometime within two years. And I, I feel like that's a safe bet given the macro stuff we kind of talked about in the opening about how, you know, the, the Fed is, is, is being forced to pivot and print more money. And, you know, as a result of that, you know, the, the, the precious metals are going to continue in the bull market that started in 2016. So, so, you know, it's a, to me, it's a very good calculated upside bet based on a high quality guy and a really low price. So I just want to move into your second new idea. That's First Majestic. This is a Canadian silver mining company that operates in Mexico and the United States. Looking back at its most recent peaks, January 2021, uh, 23 Canadian dollars. Uh, February, uh, $8.11. And then this past November, uh, down just below $9. What has you interested in the company? What's the, the, yeah. the narrative so this, here? Yeah, the narrative. This is a, this is a pretty simple story. Um, first of all, I love the CEO, Keith Newmeyer. He's been in this industry for a long time. He built this company from nothing to uh, 32 million ounces of AG equivalent, silver equivalent production last year. Um, so I'm, I'm a big fan of the CEO and that, that counts for a lot. 
Um, but he made a mistake and they made a mistake. Um, you know, they were heavily into silver, although, you know, a big piece of the revenue comes from gold. And they, they went and they bought a company in the United States. Uh, they bought a mine in the United States called Jarrett Canyon. And boy, did it turn out to be a mistake. It, it was just everything that could go wrong went wrong. And there were enormous cost overruns. And so, you know, they were making money on all their other mines, but they were losing money on Jarrett Canyon. And what they, they finally gave up, at least temporarily, maybe when prices are higher, they'll come back to Jarrett Canyon. They decided to shut Jarrett Canyon down and just stop losing money. And so that alone will make things um, much better. But, but the, the problems at Jarrett Canyon and the way that that impaired their earnings have really driven the stock down to a valuation that's just silly cheap for how much, you know, what this company has in terms of production and assets. I mean, you know, they, they produced 32 million silver equivalent ounces last year. They're going to produce 45 to 50 million silver. This makes them one of the top three or four silver produ production companies in the world. And again, if it were running correctly, it would sell for four to five X today's price, but it's not because of Jared Canyon. And, you know, the, 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 the market threw the stock in the penalty box and everyone just puked it. And um, my, my belief is that they'll fix it. You know, they've they started fixing it. They, they shut Jared Canyon down, so that cash flow drain is gone. Um, they've got some high costs and a few other mines. They're working on solving that. And higher silver prices will, again, provide enormous operating leverage. So, um, you know, another example of the kind of, they've got a really good balance sheet. And two other things that I think are very meaningful that I always look at and I love to see, is they're actually buying back their own shares. You know, when the, when the shares are this cheap, they're like, this is ridiculous. We've got cash. We're going to buy back our own shares. Also, a senior officer recently, the VP Corp Dev, just bought $150,000 worth of stock in the open market. I always love to see that, right? Here's a guy who's on the inside who knows what's going on and just said, this is ridiculous. Uh, you know, and so he put 150 k of his own money into it. So, um, you know, again, good CEO, great assets, big company, effed it up, uh, market punished it enormously, overpunished it, in my opinion. And, you know, I think we've seen the bottom and, you know, $30 silver, no Jarrett Canyon problems, working on some of the other projects they've got going. This stock should double or triple easily in the next few years. And what would make you rethink that if they weren't able to turn things around with the, the Jericho? Yeah, location? the Jarrett, they can leave it. They can leave that not working and they'll stu still do fine. I mean, this, this one is actually, I'll tell you what, this is a big Mexico risk, right? I mean, more or less all of their production is in Mexico. And they got a few other things, but, and, and, and so if Mexico went south, this would not be a good situation to be involved with. Um, again, I, as we talked earlier, I'm okay with Mexico. I think Mexico is going to be fine, but, um, but this will feel any Mexico pain will be felt here. And you're really making a big bet on that. So, you know, that's, that's, that's the risk here. Let's jump into your third and final new idea. And I think it's really going to throw people for a loop. That's Bitcoin. Of course, everybody knows the, the story there peaked around $64,000 in November of 2021, bottomed out the last time uh, south of $19,000 uh, at the end of last year and now trading around $28,000. Everybody knows that, but what's interesting here is this is kind of heresy for someone coming from exactly. the, the gold sector like you. So right. this is more of a, a deeper, less about the numbers, the time horizon. This is more of a deeper thesis, I would say. Yeah, that you have. so 
So, you know, and I would just ask everybody to try you know, gold people to keep an open mind. I mean, gold was the best money we had for 5,000 years, and it still is fabulous analog sound money. And um, well, Hold off before you push that tweet button to Larry, please. Yeah, exactly. So, the, you know, the, 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 um, what I think some people are missing, and, and I get you know, a lot of gold people don't like Bitcoin, and I, and, I, and I ask them to try to keep an open mind about what it is and to try to fully understand what it is. And I get, I get their suspicion of it because, frankly, you know, there's been a lot of promotion. There's been a lot of bullshit. Most all of crypto, in my opinion, is fraud. Um, and there was the FTX fraud and there, there, you know, Dogecoin. There were so many frauds that the average gold person like, I'm not getting involved with that. This is an entirely fraudulent area. And so that's all to me. That's a bunch of noise. You then, know, for many of those, that's playing out in, in courts now and with major absolutely. government investigations. Yeah, exactly. But the signal in all of this is that a group of guys, and I think, I think Satoshi was kind of a handful of people, we've studied it, um, a group of people actually invented what appears to be a digitally sound form of digital scarcity, immutable digital scarcity. In other words, they created these 21 million coins that are verified by all of the nodes and all of the miners every 10 minutes, and there will never be more than 21 million of them. So here you've got something, it, you know, it's a digital entry with a, you know, a public key and a private key. Here you've got something that the government can't print in the same way that they can't print gold. And as a result of that, I mean, and people have a hard time getting their hands around because they, they can't touch it or feel a lot of gold guys are like, well, gold has other uses and that's why it's valuable and blah, blah, blah. No, gold was just chosen as money because it was the best form of money we had until that time. I, you know, I always say to my friends, money is really just a ledger. Before even gold existed, you know, cavemen were marking sticks on, on, on walls of caves saying, you know, I killed three bison, you know, you owe me one because we ate them all together. And, and so people, money is just keeping track. Who owes who what? I mean, what are, the, what are the social obligations that we have to each other? It doesn't need to be physical or tangible. I mean, you know, the dollars you have in your bank account aren't physical or tangible. You just get on the web, you see, oh, I got this many dollars, right? But, but money is confidence. Confidence in, exactly. in countries, at least fiat currency is. So Agreed. given the extreme volatility that we've seen, where do you get your confidence from? That, right. that scarcity right. that you were talking about? The scarcity, the, the, the mathematical scarcity and the immutable digital proof. And, and you're right, money is absolutely confidence. And, and there are only a small group of us now who believe that this is money, but I believe that the trend is that more and more people over time are going to come to see what we see, that this represents a really digitally perfect form of money. And, and the reason is that it can't be printed. And the other reason is it's actually deflationary. I mean, even in the gold instance, you know, the gold grows up every year, you know, by the 1.7% that we mine. And so in 40 or 50 years, there'll be twice as much gold in the world. In 40 or 50 years, there'll still only be 21 million Bitcoin. And so um, as more and more people come to see that and understand that, I believe the prices kind of kind of continue to go up forever. And I can see $100,000 Bitcoin, $1 million Bitcoin, $10 million Bitcoin, you know, within my kid's lifetime, because there's a limited supply. And we live in a deflationary world and we need a deflationary currency to, to fit with that. And, you know, Keynes was wrong. All gold people know that. Keynes was completely wrong. Printing money does not create wealth. It just redistributes wealth. And so the point I'm trying to make is that, you know, I think gold is analog sound money. I think Bitcoin is a form, is digital sound money. And the reason I say that, it takes a lot of time to understand how it all works, the difficulty adjustments, the having cycle, et cetera. I mean, there's a lot to it. The private keys, the public keys, hashing. 
you know, um, and, and, you know, the, the question I, I think you will ask me and you should ask me is what could go wrong, Larry? Why would you not, you know, what could make Bitcoin fail, right? Because I get this from a lot of my investors. I'll tell you two things. One would be if the technology didn't work, if we had a real legitimate technology failure. And when I first invested in 2013, that was my great concern. I thought this is a computer, you know, it could blow up, right? Who knows if it's going to continue to work. Here we are, you know, 10 years later, 2023, hasn't blown up. Every minute, you know, every 10 minutes, there's another block. You know, people have stolen other people's keys, but nobody has hacked the fundamental security of the coins. Nobody. And so, you know, we've got 780,000 blocks that have been mined since inception. You can see where every single coin is. So, you know, th there's the possibility of technical failure, but I, I feel like, you know, 14, 15 years into it, I don't think that's a high possibility or high probability. The other thing that could make it fail, in my opinion, would be if everyone lost interest in it and there were no longer any adoption. I mean, money really is just a social illusion. We all agree the dollar has value because the U.S. has warships and it's always had value and, you know, we, we're a, a big country and so forth. Um, you know, Bitcoin, it, what, what it needs to hold its value and continue to grow its value is it does need new adoption and it needs more and more people coming into the ecosystem to make the price of it go up. But we can track the addresses, we can track the hash rate, we can track the use, and the fact of the matter is we're seeing all those things. I mean, continually. And, and, and it's really interesting, Samuel. I was, I was an investor in the venture capital business for the first part of my career before I got into the sound money stuff. And I invested in the internet in 93 and 4. And this reminds me so much of the internet, of the network effect of the internet and the way the infrastructure got built out in the internet. I mean, we invest in AutoWeb and Realtor.com and a bunch of other companies. That, in fact, we were putting together, I'm putting together a fund with some other guys to, to invest in the Bitcoin infrastructure so that if you're not comfortable with the volatility of Bitcoin, you could be an investor in this fund and, and capture the upside of the, of, the, of the idea without necessarily having the volatility of the coins. But even the volatility, I think the way you adjust for that is you keep the weighting modest and you dollar cost average over time. And there was a chart out recently that showed even if you had started dollar cost averaging when Bitcoin was at 68,000, which was the last peak, and you had bought an equal amount every week from now, from then until now, and that 68,000 was sometime last year, you'd actually be ahead right now because you would have bought a lot down at 16 and it's back up to 28. So, you know, that's how I advise people to do it. And, and I, say, I say to my clients and other people I talk to, the only wrong allocation here is zero. Why do I say that? You put, you know, $10,000 into this thing, you could lose the $10,000. Let's face it, every investment I have, you know, when, when anyone makes an equity investment of any type, you have to be prepared to have it go to zero. You know, my wonderful first boss, this really old sage guy said, Larry, the great thing about this business is you can only lose one X. And what you want to do is you want to look for two to 10 to 50 X. And I actually think Bitcoin could go up two, five, 10, 50 X over the next 10 or 15 years, because there's a trend here where young people are adopting it and they're adopting it in favor of gold. You know, they're saying this is a form of digital gold. And I think they're correct. Now, that doesn't mean gold's going to go away. And if you look at my fund, the fund I manage, you know, my Bitcoin weighting is like 15%. I'm 85% silver, gold, and silver and gold miners. But I have, and, and some, people have, some people have left me and said, look, I want gold and silver. I don't want any Bitcoin. Why the hell are you doing that? I'm out. And I said, you know, I said okay, fine. That, you know, you're welcome to do that. But let me just tell you, I think you're going to regret it because the upside optionality of that 15% is bigger than the upside optionality of gold. I mean, gold has never gone up 5x in a two-year period. Bitcoin went up 5x in 20 and 21. And, and I think it will again. I mean, every low is a higher low. 
and every high is a higher high. I mean, this past low was 16.5. The one before that where I was doubling down was 3,500. You know, I think the next high will probably be in the 150 range, and then it'll probably correct back to 30 or 40. You know, and, and I'm, I'm dollar-cost averaging every week, but, you know, frankly, when it gets to a certain multiple of its 200-day, I'll probably stop that, recognizing that, you know, I'm not getting it quite as cheap. Well, Larry, I, I have to say it was a surprise for me when you messaged and said you wanted to to talk about your thesis on Bitcoin and what your thesis was. But something that wasn't a surprise for me was that you're the number one performer on Three Ideas because, of, frankly, your body language, your exper the experience you walked in with on that very first episode and the lack of, of hubris, frankly. And I could say the same thing about the victory lap you're taking. Still, yeah. the, the humility that I see, I think it's a real masterclass in a way what you're walking through with us. Oh, and I, I would love fine. to see you on an episode of, of yeah. My Life in Four Trades because I think you oh, can yeah, walk yeah. us through we'll do, this. We'll do that for sure, yeah. No, you're, you're very, you're very kind to say that. I mean, I, you know, I, I've got 45 years of mistakes, as Greg Foss likes to say. You know, <laughs> you get, you get humbled. I'm 65, so you get humbled over time. I just, I'm just a squirrel looking for a nut, and I, I think this stuff is going to work, but there are no guarantees. <laughs> well, Larry, we'll be keeping track of you and seeing if it's humble pie or another victory lap the exactly. next time around. But hope to see you back in this space again. Thank you so much for your ideas Absolutely. and your time. Happy to do it, Samuel. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.